We've got a full-blown mailbag episode for you today. Lots of questions, lots of different topics to get to. But most importantly, I'm going to tell you why USC quarterback Caleb Williams is the biggest villain Notre Dame has had to deal with in a long, long time. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome in. This is Locked On Irish and it is Thursday, May 4th. So thank you for making this your first listen of the day. As always, you can watch the show on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Tyler Wojcik and I am the host. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer for college football talent at the Fox Sports headquarters in LA. And we got another mailbag episode this week. I've got a bunch of questions covering a wide range of topics. So thank you to everyone who sent yours in. I really appreciate it. And if you want to be included in future mailbag episodes, send them in. The easiest way to do it is by hitting up the show on social media, which you can find on Twitter at Lockdown Irish or on Instagram at Lockdown Irish Pod. Or you can drop them below in the comments if you're watching along on YouTube. Typically, I avoid YouTube comments at all costs, but I'll make an exception for mailbag questions. Real quick, though, before we get rolling here, I want to let you guys know that this is the last episode of this week because I'm going on a little vacation this weekend. I'm going back home to Louisville for the Kentucky Derby, and I cannot wait. If you know me, you know how much I love going back home, especially around Derby time. I've been going to the Kentucky Derby since I was a freshman in high school. It's my favorite time of the year. It's my favorite event every single year. So I've got a big weekend ahead. So this will be the last episode until Tuesday of next week, and then I'll be back on the Daily Grind. And while we're on the topic, I might as well give out my Derby pick uh, so that it's out there. That way, if I'm right, I can gloat about it. And if I'm wrong, then you guys can tell me I'm an idiot, and I'm just going to have to take that one on the chin. But I love, I love Forte. Uh, I know it's the favorite. I think it's at 3-1 to one right now, so it's not like the sexiest pick, but I've liked this horse for a few weeks now. Then I listened to a three-hour-long podcast. I listened to the full three hours um, about the Kentucky Derby, so I'm basically an expert now, uh, just like you are. You're an expert on Notre Dame football for listening to this podcast on a daily basis. Um, so the host came to the same conclusion I did. They said that Forte is going to win the race, so I agree. I'm feeling pretty good about this pick, so get rich this weekend and uh, take my advice. I promise I won't let you down. Yeah, because I could totally promise that. All right, let's. that's enough horse racing talk for this podcast. Let's get to what you guys actually came here for. And our first question comes from George Anderson, who wants to know, where does USC quarterback Caleb Williams rank among the biggest Notre Dame villains of your life? I'm going to be honest, he's my number one. <laughs> I know that might be recency bias, but I really, really cannot stand this dude. And part of it is because of how good of a player he is, uh, because he's amazing. Like, I'm not one who's going to diminish his play on the field just because I don't like him and I don't like his personality. He is a phenomenal player, and he absolutely torched Notre Dame's defense last season, and he sure as hell let them know while he was doing it. I mean, hell, there's one play where he's like running backwards into the end zone, talking trash to Jack Kaiser. So I didn't love that. I certainly didn't love the fact that Notre Dame's players were like getting in line to greet him after the game. Like, okay, dude, that guy, not only did he dominate you, but he sure as hell didn't respect you while doing it. So I didn't love that. And I really want Notre Dame to kick their ass in Notre Dame Stadium this fall. I don't know if that's going to happen because I think he is just so, so good. And he's going to be really, really difficult to stop and then the fact that he has Lincoln Riley calling the plays for him arguably one of the greatest minds in all of football not just college but also the NFL as well it's gonna be really difficult to stop him but I really really don't like him I was thinking of some other notable villains uh, from my lifetime with Notre Dame Matt Leiner comes to mind he was obviously a huge villain when I was a kid but uh, I'm gonna be honest now 
Matt Leinart has fallen in my Notre Dame villain rankings because uh, I've had the chance to work with him uh, quite a bit at Fox. I know that's a name drop, whatever. But the first time I did meet him, my boss immediately, when she introduced us, she was like, Tyler's a big Notre Dame guy. And he kind of laughed at it. And I was like, yeah, man, uh, to be honest, you you made me cry when I was nine years old. And he la- he was a great sport about it all. And he, I hate to say this to you guys, but... He's actually just an awesome dude. So I can't really, I can't put him that high in the list anymore. He's really nice. I like working with him. Um, some other ones, Reggie Bush comes to mind. I haven't worked with him, so feel free to hate him. I have no no good things to report on him. So I still don't really like Reggie right now. Maybe that'll change if I meet him. I don't think it will. Uh, Denard Robinson, man, he he just killed Notre Dame. Uh, there was that run there where Michigan just kind of owned Notre Dame, and Denard Robinson was a big reason why. I was at that game at Notre Dame Stadium the year that Kyle Rudolph had that like 98-yard touchdown and you thought Notre Dame was going to win and then Denard Robinson just came right down the field and scored. Uh, I believe that was in 2010. Yeah, that was Brian Kelly's first season. That really sucked. He killed Notre Dame. I guess I could say Pat Narduzzi because he openly hates Notre Dame, but Notre Dame kind of owns him. So I don't know if he's really just a big villain or he's just a guy who has basically made himself a rival of Notre Dame. Um, hopefully Notre Dame just kicks Pitt's ass this year. Uh, him and Phil Jerkovic, who I guess he's kind of climbing up these rankings after that ridiculous Instagram post last year. Um, another villain, this might be a little uh, inside baseball, DJ Sticky Boots. Um, I think Luke and I mentioned him a little bit earlier uh, this week on the podcast. He was the stadium DJ for Notre Dame, I think, the past couple of seasons. And if you've been to a game recently, you probably realize, hey, the music in this stadium kind of sucks right now. And DJ Sticky Boots was a big reason why. Although it sounds like he's out of his job and uh, Notre Dame has a much better DJ in now. So I think that'll be great for the stadium experience. Um, who's another villain? Maybe Notre Dame Stadium Usher. Some of them are great, though, so I feel I feel bad kind of looping them all into one here. But, yeah, it's got to be Caleb Williams for me because of his personality, the fact that he plays for USC, and the fact that he's really good. Um, I think those things all come together to make him the biggest villain at Notre Dame, at least in, in a long time for Notre Dame. All right, next one here. This one comes from Brennan 77 If Buckner doesn't start or not play that much at Bama next season, can you ever see a scenario where he returns to Notre Dame in the spring of 2023 with two years of eligibility left? He could have two years toward a Notre Dame degree, and his sister would be there too. I appreciate the question, Drew, but honestly, I don't see this happening at all. I would give this about like a 1% chance. I wouldn't say it's completely impossible because anything is possible in the transfer portal era, but I just really don't see it happening. I understand your point, too, about his sister going to Notre Dame, and that's kind of the reason why, or not kind of, the, the main reason. It was just one of the reasons why I thought that Buckner would stick around because his family seems to really love Notre Dame as well as him. He left the door open to coming back to Notre Dame when he announced his intentions to enter the transfer portal. But once you leave, that's just a whole different that's a whole different thing. Like, if you go in the portal and you're like, hey, I might come back. I want to just see what's out there. I think the whole team could kind of understand Tyler Buckner's situation um, at that point in time. Now he's going to Alabama. Uh, there's just no way he can come back to Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame would want him back. Marcus Freeman wanted him back when he put his name in the portal because he knew that Notre Dame needed him this year. But now that he left, I don't think Marcus Freeman would want him back, especially considering the fact that with most guys who enter their name in the portal or even consider leaving the program, Freeman's attitude has mostly been, all right, see ya. Like, he was not open to guys coming back. And then, you know, once Buckner put his name in, I think the situation was a little bit different. I don't think Freeman would be cool uh, if Buckner wanted to come back next year. And you know who else wouldn't be? The quarterback room. Like, that dynamic would just be so weird if Tyler Buckner just took a gap year at Alabama and then just came back and was like, yeah, so I'm going to start now. I don't think that would have flown really well. And you don't want to – 
you know, disrupt team chemistry and team culture that much. I, I don't think Tyler Buckner would ever do that anyway. But I understand your point. And uh, if he doesn't play at Alabama this year, I don't really know what Tyler Buckner is going to do. I've obviously been pretty pro Tyler on this podcast, but I'm really anxious to see how this works out for him in Alabama. And if it works out well, that's great for him. And if not, um, then maybe he'll regret this decision. But we're all going to have to wait and see. I think we're all going to be locked into Alabama football this year, whether we like to admit it or not. Okay, this next one comes from at Paul underscore Bergman. Marcus Freeman publicly stated that they were going to look to add a safety in the transfer portal, but the window is closed and it doesn't seem like Notre Dame has any targets. Have you heard about any potential names to look out for? I have not. And it doesn't look like Notre Dame is going to pick up a safety in the transfer portal, despite what Freeman said. And I think Chris O'Leary even said, too, that Notre Dame needed to get a guy, and they're not going to get one, which is really unfortunate. And I, I think that it's poor roster management. And I know that Tom Loy from 24-7 Sports and Irish Illustrated reported that Notre Dame was really only looking for guys, uh, looking for safety specifically with two years of eligibility left. I'm not doubting Loy's intel. I'm sure he had good sources on this, and that's what he was told. But that's crazy to me if Notre Dame was really limiting themselves to only safeties with two years of eligibility remaining. I understand if that's your preference. Like Obviously, I get wanting to get a guy with two years as opposed to a one-year rental. That makes sense to me. But Notre Dame is in such a dire state with their safety depth right now that they just need a body. And even if it's just a body to get through practice, like I think that alone is important uh, for this season because they are just so low on numbers. And I know that the top three are pretty solid. Like Xavier Watts could have a big year, Ramon Henderson, and then DJ Brown. Like They're going to rotate those three guys. But they're one injury away from from being in big trouble back there, especially considering that the true freshman early enrollees, uh, Adon Schuler and Ben Minnick, are also dealing with injuries of their own. Now, Ben Minnick, he's just dealt with like a broken thumb or something like that. So he'll be back and he'll be fine. But Adon Schuler has a shoulder injury. And we know from Cam Hart and Thomas Harper that shoulder injuries linger and they often come back to bite you. So I don't know if you could count on them, especially this year as true freshmen to contribute. So that's not a great situation for Notre Dame. They really, really needed to get a guy in the transfer portal at safety. And if you think big picture here uh, about the transfer portal window, as of May 1st, in, in all of college football, 2,623 guys entered their name in the transfer portal this offseason. Um, that's about 300 more than last season. So there's a ton of guys out there. That number has been fact-checked, by the way, by one of our researchers here at Fox. So that's a really high number. But of those 2,600-plus, about 75% of them were undergraduate transfers. So that alone cuts out about 2,000 eligible transfers that could come to Notre Dame because Notre Dame really could only get graduate transfers at this point, and I'm, unless, the, of course, they went to like Northwestern or Stanford. But there's not many of those guys in there either. So Notre Dame really only has 600 eligible transfers to work with. And then how many of those 600 were safeties with two years left of eligibility? My guess is not that much, and especially not in this transfer portal window. So I think they really limited themselves here, and I don't really understand why. This is going to be exactly like wide receiver last year where Notre Dame absolutely needed to get a guy in the portal. They needed to take pretty much anyone, and they didn't do it. So uh, we'll see how it works out for them, but my guess is that it will come back to bite them, although I'm obviously hoping that it won't. All right, here's a quick word from our sponsors, and then I'll be back with some more questions. Looking for a delicious snack but don't want all of the sugar and calories? Then you need the best-tasting protein bar ever. Built. you got to try this. If you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices but you don't want to compromise on taste, then I've got just the thing for you. Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and they taste amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing you won't think they're good for you. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not really sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they're healthy. They only have 130 calories, 
four grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club while you can still get your specialty flavors at Built.com. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. I promise you'll love these, and you can thank me later. Thanks again for making Locked On Irish your first listen of the day. This is your reminder to subscribe to the show on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. And now let's get back to our mailbag questions. This next one comes from at jperlman315. Do you think the expanded college football playoff format will help or hurt Notre Dame's chances of winning a national championship? So I know that there's different ways of looking at this, but personally, I think it's going to help Notre Dame because I think that Notre Dame should be in this 12-team playoff every single year. Any year that they don't make that 12-team playoff will be a disappointment. And I don't think that's the case right now in the current 14 playoff format, even though that's the expectation at the start of the year. There's only four teams that make it, and it's just really hard to get in, especially when you consider the fact that Georgia or Alabama, one of those teams has pretty much got one spot locked in every year, so then you're really only fighting for three spots. And if you look back uh, at the recent history of it, Notre Dame hasn't had super great luck once they get in there. They got blown out in 2018 against Clemson, and even though going into that game I thought Notre Dame had a good chance of winning, I think that was because we didn't realize just how good that Clemson team was. They turned out to be one of the best teams of this generation uh, with just Trevor Lawrence and his true freshman season was unbelievable and then that defense especially that line was just insane and I don't think anyone in the college football playoff world realized how good they were until they stomped Alabama in the national championship I'm not gonna lie I felt pretty validated watching that like oh okay see other teams get blown out in the postseason too in college football see it's not just Notre Dame Um, but unfortunately the college football world doesn't see it that way and then in 2020 that Alabama team was another just unbelievably talented team a historically good football team and then Notre Dame got blown out again but if in the expanded format, if Notre Dame is, is in it every single year, they're going to have a lot more chances and they're going to have uh, more opportunities for breaks to sort of fall their way. I think one thing about this 12-team playoff format is there's just going to be more injuries to keep players on good teams. And I think that could de- definitely change um, who the national championship is because obviously the teams at the top of college football are going to have the best shot, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the usual suspects. They're going to have a great shot. They're going to be more uh, suited to win multiple games. But I feel like if Notre Dame is in it every single year, we're going to see a little bit more parity. Not a lot. I mean, I still think the top teams are going to still dominate the top of college football, but more teams are going to be involved, and I think Notre Dame is going to have more chances uh, to win. And I think that as time goes on, I think that the talent and the amount of talent will somewhat shift to the other teams, and I think Notre Dame might be more suited then than they are now. All right, now this next one comes from at Nicholas D. King. If you could pick one recruit in the class of 2024 to come to Notre Dame, who would it be? So if I could pick anyone, and I'm not being entirely realistic about this, I would take quarterback Dylan Rayola because he's the number one overall prospect in the entire class, and he plays the most important position. That's probably not the answer you're expecting, especially considering the fact that Notre Dame already has a quarterback commit in this class, in C.J. Carr, and Carr is a very highly touted recruit. I think he's the number five quarterback in the class right now. He's not a five-star yet, but he's a really high four-star. But frankly, I think Rayola is better than Carr and every other player in this class. That's why he's the number one overall prospect. History says that either either one of these guys uh, could end up being a bust, but I think Rayola is less likely because he's rated higher. He's rated higher than Bryce Young was coming out of high school on the 24-7 composite, and Bryce Young just went number one overall in the NFL draft. Now, sometimes these rankings get it wrong. I know Quinn Ewers was like a 
1,000. He's like a perfect prospect coming out of high school. And so far, we haven't really seen that, although I think Quinn is going to be really good this year. Last year, I know he struggled at times, but he was basically, in terms of age, he was just a college freshman. So not everyone is Trevor Lawrence, even though he kind of ruined things for all freshman quarterbacks for the rest of time because he was just so good as a true freshman. I think Rayola is going to be a really, really talented high, or college quarterback, and that's why he's rated so high. So I would take him. But if I'm being realistic about this and I'm considering guys who are actually considering Notre Dame, I'd go with Elijah Rushing, the uh, five-star defensive end out of Arizona. Notre Dame desperately needs a dominant pass rusher. They, th- they thought they had one last year when Keon Keeley was committed to Notre Dame. Then obviously he decommitted to go to Alabama. And Notre Dame needs a guy like that immediately. Uh, these teams who are winning it every single year, They've got dominant pass rushers. We talked a lot um, about how Notre Dame needs guys at the high-value positions in the NFL draft. Defensive end is obviously one of those, and I think Elijah Rushing would be an absolutely massive pickup for Notre Dame. I'd rather have Rushing over Justin Scott like 10 times out of 10, mostly just because of the position that they play. And also, I think Rushing is a better prospect. So we'll see what happens. I know that Rushing has a good relationship with uh, defensive line coach Al Washington. Notre Dame is still considered a long shot in this recruitment as it stands, but we'll see maybe after his round of official visits in the summer, that will change. If Notre Dame is able to land him, I think Rushing could play immediately at Notre Dame and be an impact player, much in the same way that I thought Keon Keeley would have been this year if he had stayed with Notre Dame, but obviously that's not the case. Okay, next one. Irish fan 7612 wants to know, describe your dream golf foursome using only Notre Dame public figures. This is a good question. Um, so the first one is easy. It's got to be Mike Bray because I'm not very good at golf and I'm going to need a drinking buddy in the cart to make it fun when I'm hacking away on the course. And who, who, what better drinking buddy is there uh, than Mike Bray? I think he would be absolutely perfect. And plus, I'm sure you'd have all kinds of good stories. Um, so we could just talk a bunch in the cart and not even focus on the golf aspect. I don't know if Mike Bray golfs. I don't care. He doesn't have to take a single swing on the course. As long as he's hanging out with me on the court, I think I'd have an awesome time. So he's my first pick. The second pick, some people aren't going to like. Uh, it's Brian Kelly because I know he's a big golfer. Maybe he could give me some tips. Uh, he'd take that part of it seriously. If we're doing a scramble and I get to pick a two-man partner, I would take Brian Kelly because he'd probably carry me on the golf course. And look, I know a lot of fans don't like Brian Kelly, and I get it. He left, and he said some dumb things since he left. But I have so many questions for Brian Kelly. I want to know. I have so many different things I want to know, and I'd probably just annoy the hell out of him on the course because I'd just be pestering him with questions the whole time. But it would be really, really interesting to just be with him for four hours and have the opportunity to talk to him, ask him questions, things like that. And I know people don't think he's the funniest guy. I kind of love his dry sense of humor and the fact that he isn't funny kind of makes him somewhat funnier and in in a weird, endearing sort of way. So, yeah, he's my number two. And then third, I thought about this for a while. I thought about some funny ones, but I think golfing with Joe Montana would be pretty incredible. Like he's one of the greatest football players ever. And I think he's another guy who would just have stories on stories on stories about his experience, not just at Notre Dame, but playing in the NFL and everything that he's done since then. I think that would be great. Plus he's sponsored by Guinness. Personally, not a huge Guinness guy, but uh, I don't know, maybe you could hook us up and uh, that'd be awesome to have. It'd just be an awesome group to be with. So there it is. It's going to be me, Mike Bray, Brian Kelly, Joe Montana, hacking away on the golf course and uh, drinking some Miller Lights and maybe some Guinness too for Joe Montana. All right, we got a couple more questions left, so stick around for those and then we'll wrap things up. Okay, we got a couple more questions. Uh, this first one comes from at 1842 ND Irish. Any guesses as to why Tariq Bracey didn't get an undrafted free agent deal? Um, I, I really don't know. I wasn't shocked that Tariq Bracey didn't get drafted because he wasn't showing up in any mocks or anything like that. 
I think part of that has to do with the fact that he had some really bad tape for that from that 2020 season and uh, into 2021. But honestly, by the second half of 2021 and going into 2022, like if you look at Notre Dame this past season, Tariq Bracey was one of the most valuable players on the entire team, especially on that defense, because he was just really, really impressive last season, not only in coverage, but he was also great at making open field tackles. So he really came on last year and Notre Dame really needed him. I was actually at that USC game with Luke Smith and we didn't hear on the broadcast that Tariq Bracey wasn't playing. We didn't see we was we didn't really have great service in there. So at first we we're like, where is Bracey? Why isn't he playing? And then I thought, well, if they don't have Tariq Bracey, Notre Dame has no shot in this one. And then they ended up losing to USC. And obviously, not having Bracey was a big reason why uh, they could not stop anyone in coverage. But anyway, uh, as for the NFL draft, I think Bracey's testing numbers and measurables were just okay. Um, like I said, he had a couple bad years, but I think that most teams would be more inclined to look at what he's done lately because I think that's a much better indication of the type of player he is now. So I don't know. But um, on Wednesday, he actually did uh, pick up an invite to the Houston Texans rookie minicamp. So he'll hopefully be able to have a chance to to make some noise there, get an opportunity. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Heinisch was uh, an undrafted free agent signed by the Houston Texans, and then he made their opening day roster. So it's not out of the question that Tariq Bracey could make the team, although a rookie minicamp invite is not as good as an undrafted free agent deal. And both of those things, it's, it's rare that those guys get on the opening day roster. But I don't know, maybe Bracey will surprise some people, and I really hope he does because I think he's a really good player. All right, last one. At Z Smitty underscore 54 wants to know, who is going to be calling Notre Dame games next year on NBC? I mean, I think it's going to be Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett again. Uh, I haven't heard anything different up to this point. I know people didn't love the booth last year, and and I get it. Like that's to be expected. Jack was in the Jack had the impossible responsibility of filling the shoes of Mike Trico, who might be one of the best to ever do it as a play by play guy. So that was always going to be a downgrade. We knew that going into it. I think if you had to ask Jack before it, he would have said, "Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably not going to be as good as Mike Tirico, especially not in year one." But I thought he was fine. Um, I was not super pumped when I found out that Jason Garrett was going to be the color guy. And I tried to, you know, be, have an open mind about the whole deal, and I thought he was just fine too. Um, I know people have like really, really strong opinions on him, and really both those guys. I, I'm sort of indifferent to the whole thing. Um, I think they'll be better this time around, assuming that they will be the two guys in the booth this year. But there's so much moving and shaking in the college football media landscape, uh, especially as it relates to NBC in the new Big Ten deal. I don't really know how that's going to work out or how that's going to affect Notre Dame's broadcast in the near future, so we'll just have to wait and see. My guess is, though, that Jack Collinsworth is going to be the guy back there along with Jason Garrett again in year two, which could be a good thing because Notre Dame actually hasn't had a ton of uh, continuity in the booth with the same guys, especially not in recent years. So, I don't know. Maybe they'll be better year two. Um, again, I'm going to have an open mind about it. I'm rooting for Jack. Uh, I've had the chance to hang out with Jack a few times. He came on Sons of Saturday back when I was doing that podcast. And uh, I thought it was a good interview, and uh, I'm rooting for him. So I think we all should be. We should all want a better product, uh, no matter who's up there. So that's my hope, and uh, that's my expectation for this season. But that's going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. Please subscribe to the show. Follow us on all the social medias out there. Enjoy your weekend. Bet on Forte to win the Derby. Get rich, all that good stuff. And I will see you guys on Tuesday.